Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. I'm Zach Horton with my wife, Krista Horton. Hello, hello. And this is uh, Season 3, Episode 11, Jacob Chapters 1 through 4. We are really excited for this episode. We uh, have kind of a, a new, fresh love for Jacob. We've been studying him and um, and I think getting to know him a little bit better. I think for me, it started in Second Nephi, and I will admit that some of those, the new Book of Mormon videos have helped because mm. I just loved his emotion as he read the Isaiah in those, in those books. And something that you really feel, I feel like in Second Nephi is just his love for the scriptures. So I loved seeing that portrayed in the movie of him just smiling and, and saying the, um, and re and preaching to his people, his excitement. But here we get an even more in-depth look and maybe even a more mature Jacob, mm-hmm. I would say. I don't, I'm not looking at the timeline right now, but you really just feel his emotion. And I feel like he does a really great job of conveying that. And for me, it was the first time of discovering him in kind of a new light and realizing who he was and what more about his story. Well, and Jacob holds such a unique position in Nephite history in that, um, he's kind of this bridge between old and new. Um, he uh, knows about Jerusalem because his whole family comes from Jerusalem, but he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in the wilderness. He was born in transition from the old world to the new world. And so Jacob holds this unique position in his family where he knows about the old, but he was born and knows about the old, uh, lives in the new, but was born in this kind of time of transition. And um, and I think his his period, we don't know a whole lot about his life and about his um, ministry, but he seems to be kind of helping the Nephites through a period of transition of their own from the family of Lehi or the family of Nephi, I guess, um, and when he starts to speak to them, it's obvious that there are some sins and problems that have crept in and that they've started to evolve as a culture. And uh, and he has to kind of help them mold from this just random assortment of people into an actual culture that um, serves God and, and, uh, and does what they're supposed to do. So anyway, there's a lot to love about Jacob, uh, not the least of which, of course, is what he actually says and what he teaches. So we're really excited to study with you this episode. Yes, for sure. And these chapters, I'd say the whole book of Jacob is just full of of great wisdom and great insights and great teachings and especially things that are very applicable to us today specifically. Well, I would say specifically in these chapters, but then I'm thinking of next week's study and Jacob 5 through 7 and even more so there. So, yep, we are excited. So to start, and this might be a bit of a tangent, but um, we were talking in the car today um, about German words that we can't find, and there probably is, but we have not been able to find um, satisfactory English translations for. For example, one of my favorites is the word doch, uh, and it's the word in German that means like everything. Like if someone says something that you don't like and you want to contradict what they're saying, you can say, doch. It's kind of like a, but with a lot more emphasis. 
but it's also used just for emphasis. Like you can say it in the middle of a sentence to just really add a punch to the sentence, or um, you can say it to add um, excitement or, or, or uh, I don't know, just more emotion to what you're saying. And so it's, it, you can sprinkle it anywhere. It can kind of do anything and be anything. And there's just no, no acceptable English translation for it. The one I'm thinking of that's similar to that is Naya, which is kind of like, <laughs> oh, well, but it's also has so many other uses to it. And I can't think, there's also another word that we I always say, um, that I always think of when I'm speaking on the podcast. Hopefully it will come up today, but I can never think of the English word for it. And I'm not saying I'm fluent in German by any means. This is not like I'm always thinking German, but I'm thinking, I can't think of what that word is, but there, you're right. There's so many they have some cool words. Yep. And I'm sure other languages are the same. It's kind of that idea of like, how can you describe this in your own language? Sometimes you just have it in a different language. I'm sure that's how other languages are too. The one that we were talking about mostly in our car ride as we were discussing this episode and what we were going to record is the German word Weltschmerz. And it was actually used by President or by well, President Uchtdorf, then President Uchtdorf, uh, a couple of years ago in a general conference talk. We'll link that in our show notes. Um, but he described it this way. Loosely defined, it means a sadness that comes from brooding about how the world is inferior to how we think it ought to be. Uh, in other words, it's a sadness about the depressing or sinful or just negative things that you see in the world. And another plug for German, I mean, exactly translated, it means world pain. Mm-hmm. Welt is world, Schmerz is pain. And so it's pain for the world. But you can't say that in one word yeah. in English. There's just not a word for that. It's so good in German. And you probably know what this feels like as you as you watch the news. There are some stories, of course, that don't uh, that don't hurt. But there are some stories as you watch that just pain you individually, that cause this, even though it's not happening to you or to your family, it's happening to someone in the world and and it hurts you that something like that actually exists. Well, in this study, um, Jacob describes a similar emotion. In fact, he does it almost every time that he speaks. I went back to 2 Nephi chapter 6 when Nephi first quotes Jacob or first puts one of Jacob's sermons in the book. And Jacob says the same thing in 2 Nephi 6 that he says in Jacob chapter 2 when he begins his sermon in these chapters. So listen carefully. Here's 2 Nephi 6 verse 3. He says, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. Yea, my anxiety is great for you, and you yourselves know that it has ever been. Uh, Jacob chapter 2 verse 3. And you yourselves know that I have hitherto been diligent in the office of my calling, but I this day am weighed down with much more desire and anxiety for the welfare of your souls that I have hitherto been. Just a side note plug. Um, But this is one of those places among many where there is a distinct difference in voices between Nephi as a narrator and writer and his brother Jacob as a narrator and writer. Um, which is distinct from Mormon, who's coming up as the narrator, which is distinct from Moroni, which is distinct from a couple of other little little mini sermons that are put in in the words of the sermon giver in the Book of Mormon. Just one of those mini logical evidences um, that these are real people. It's not one person writing different characters. Um, These are 
different people with different perspectives and different feelings and emotions. And Jacob is one of those places where you can feel that. I think so too. I think some of the the things that he says and he expresses that anxiety, he feels very deeply for people. And I think you can even see that for his people and for future people. And I think you can really see that in some of these words that he's using. Um, he says in verse seven is where I'm looking. And also it grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you. And moving on, he just talks about that he's going to admonish these people that in ver- verse eight, and it supposes me that they have come up hither to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. I feel like there's just some really deep passion. You can feel his anxiety towards what exactly what he describes, that he has this worry, this anxiety and stress that he just wants us to feel so as deeply as he does um, about Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do in this episode is ask not the most uplifting question, but I think an important one. And the question is this, as you study these chapters in Jacob, what is it that he's describing or talking about that causes you Weltschmerz, either because it exists in the world, or maybe because it exists in your family, or maybe because it exists in you as an individual? Now, we should mention this is kind of a two-part study. The beginning chapters of Jacob, chapters one through four, are meant to be read before Jacob chapter 5, obviously. But Jacob chapter 5 is kind of the solution to Jacob chapters 1 through 4, at least these chapters, the sermon that he gives in chapters 2 and 3. And so this study this week might be a little bit more um, somber as we study the sins and the problems that Jacob is describing and kind of examine ourselves and see if if, if what he's describing is in us. But know that next study in Jacob chapter 5 is this beautiful description of how God can help us through this and how he reaches out and saves us from it. A second note, um, when we studied these episodes two years ago in our first season uh, of the podcast, we did Jacob chapters 1 through 4 and chapters, I think it was 6 and 7. We left chapter 5 all on its own. Um, And so if you want to go back and listen to that, we studied a little bit in these chapters. We focused mainly on chapter 7 and Sherem and his attempts to shake Jacob from the faith. And so this episode, we want to really hone in on these chapters 2, 3, and 4, and what it is that causes Jacob and us Weltschmerz. Because I think, honestly, that these, as I'm reading through the same problems, I think we can gain a lot of insight into our own personal lives and maybe to that, like like you're saying, that Weltschmerz around us, um, because these, this is this is us today. He's he's preaching to his people, but he's preaching to us as his people too. So we're gonna start um, just where Jacob starts here, in verse twelve. He says, "And now, behold, my brethren, this is the word which I declare unto you: that many of you have begun to search for gold and for silver and for all manner of precious ores, in which this land." is a land of promise unto you and to your seed doth abound most plentifully. There's plenty of stuff, but you're beginning to search for too much of it. Um, And then in verse 13, And the hand of providence has smiled upon you most pleasingly that you must have obtained many riches. And because some of you have obtained more abundantly than that of your brethren, you are lifted up in the pride of your hearts and wear stiff necks and high heads because of your costliness of your apparel 
and persecute your brethren because ye suppose that ye are better than they. Um, I don't think there's a more relevant thing for us today in that, um, just in fact, just tonight at dinner, my son mentioned, well, mom, his, his dad is super rich. So this is all the things that he does. He has two birthdays and, and then he gets a Christmas too. That's even bigger. And, um, you know, I just, I think, oh, what a world that my kids are growing up in that sometimes I feel a little bit of that pain for like, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you more. And then I'm back, snapped back into reality thinking, wait, you have so much. This is, this is it, right? We can so easily get sucked into that pattern of, I have so much more than this person. Oh, this person, I'm way better than this person because they don't have what I have. Um, and here's where that pride begins. This is where Jacob's seeing it happening. And I just think that's so applicable for us today in what we do. Um, we start in verse, again, in verse 18 here. But before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have tamed a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches, if ye seek them, and ye will seek them for the intent to do good. It is not a bad thing to seek for riches, obviously, and seek for success. That's part of us as humans, is wanting to do good and wanting to do better. Um, but isn't it an anxiety for all of us of of that balance, of finding that balance of what what we should be focusing on and how to do it? In fact, I've been reading this book, um, maybe some of you have read it, called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, and um, he's got some interesting takes on human history, and one of the ones that he points out is that we often look at these moments in our history where we make a giant leap forward in our technology or advancement. For example, the agricultural revolution, we look at as this giant leap forward in humankind's ability to live a happy and productive life. And he examines that critically and shows that whereas um, the predecessors to those in the agricultural revolution lived this life of hunting and gathering and foraging, um, they moved from place to place. Their diet was variable. They didn't work a whole lot because they were able to get their food from the land that they lived on pretty quickly. They spent a lot of time in social gatherings and talking and family. Once they settled down, quote unquote, and started farms and growing wheat, they stayed in one place. Their diet was restricted and they lived a less happy life. At least that's his, his argument. Um, there's this kind of biting quote he says at the end of that. He says, the pursuit of an easier life resulted in much hardship and not for the last time. It happens to us today. How many young college graduates have taken demanding jobs in high-powered firms, vowing that they will work hard to earn money that will enable them to retire and pursue their real interests when they are 35? But by the time they reach that age, they have a large mortgage, children to school, houses in the suburbs that necessitate at least two cars per family, and a sense that life is not worth living without really good wine and expensive holidays abroad. What are they supposed to do? Go back to digging up roots? No, they double their efforts and they keep slaving away. And then he makes this point. One of history's few iron laws is that luxuries tend to become necessities and to spawn new obligations. And as I read that and think studying Jacob this week, I thought, man, how true is that? That when we seek for riches, we get riches, but then we get with them the stress and the worry and the problem and the drain that comes with them. However, when we seek for the kingdom of God, he adds to us the riches that we need, and then we can live that life, uh, live within our means and, and have the joy that God wants us to have. 
And I think even just have that perspective too of what what in balance what we need to be doing and it's interesting to think of that in that world history perspective this greater scale in Jacob's world I mean they are starting a new people this is the same exact problem that they're having here and Jacob's seeing it and calling him out on that and beginning what we're going to get into next this kind of this maybe the even the beginning of the pride cycle that we see throughout the book of Mormon here appearing yeah so chapter 2 verse 20 And now, my brethren, I have spoken unto you concerning pride, and those of you which have afflicted your neighbor and persecuted him because you were proud in your hearts of the things which God hath given you, what say ye of it? Do you not suppose that such things are abominable unto him who hath created all flesh, and the one being is as precious in his sight as the other, and all flesh is of the dust? And for the selfsame end hath he created them, that they should keep his commandments and glorify him forever. Now, Nephi mentions this point, but Jacob's really the one that emphasizes it, and it will be picked up by other authors in the Book of Mormon later on. The idea that all flesh is equal in the sight of God, that all of us come from the dust of the earth, and that all of us will eventually return to the dust of the earth. And so there's nothing that I can boast of that vaults me over you. Um, in the eyes of God. Jacob will go so far in the next chapter as to say that the Nephites, who view themselves with with a lot of pride compared to the Lamanites because of their comparative quote-unquote righteousness, that the Nephites are in danger of being judged more critically and harshly than the Lamanites, because at least the Lamanites have good families. And here the Nephites are destroying their families and their culture with this pride and this wealth. Um, and their and their lack of virtue. And so Jacob goes as far as to shock the Nephites into saying, you think you're better than them, when in reality they might be better than you. I think the reason why this bothers me so much, why this causes me so much Weltschmerz, is because I see so many examples of it in small and large places all over today, where one person or one group Um, views itself as so much more important or so much better or so much wiser than another group, and we stop learning from each other as people. Um, It's maybe hot on my mind because we're in the middle of a political season, and uh, we have political parties and political candidates trying to drag each other down and show each other who's more important and who's better, and, and I'm all for a healthy debate on political issues. Um, but our current environment is so poisoned where it's not political discussions anymore, it's it's personal. And that filters down into the way that we talk to each other in our families and in our homes and our cultures and our in our neighborhoods and environments. It's all this insane and ridiculous competition for one of us to be better than the other. And now I'm ranting because it causes me Weltschmerz, but <laughs> it just, when Jacob describes it, it sounds so familiar as I look at the world that we live in. I was going to say, that's just what it is, is I keep thinking like, oh, that rich is one as we're, go- we're talking through these. And I'm like, oh, that's the one. And then I think, no, that's the one. Like we are, we become so prideful of not being able to learn from others, whether I just, yeah, that point of that we can gain so much when we open up our hearts to other people that are so different from us. And then we realize that you know, we have a lot more in common. And I, I think that sounds like a cliche thing that I just said, but it's really true that um, I think that's where obviously where pride begins to grow is when we leave out um, remembering that other people have perspectives and experiences 
that are just equally as valid. Such an important thing for us to remember. I think this is a practical one because what the world needs is what you're saying. Our ability, our our practice, our, our skill at being able to listen to and empathize with other people. Um, even though we might disagree with them, um, even though we might come from different backgrounds or have different beliefs, the need for us to listen to them and admire what's good and valuable about their their thoughts or their beliefs, even if we don't necessarily adopt them as our own thoughts or beliefs. I can listen to what you're saying um, without necessarily having to change my native beliefs. I can appreciate your thoughts and your beliefs. It's kind of like picking up another language. I speak this English language. But I can learn your language, and I should try and learn your language, and it can add to the richness of my life. And I think if we can get rid of pride, if we can get rid of the, the, the insane focus and selfless, selfishness we have in our culture, um, our, our society will be better, our families will be better, and our personal lives will be better. Yeah, so if all of these things don't make you feel like Jacob really knew our day, then I think this last one is definitely one that will too. Um, but yeah, as, as we talk through these and study some more, I'm just reminded more and more of um, that these, these scriptures are for us today. Um, these prophets knew what they were, what they were talking about. Um, so the last point we see at the end of chapter two, again, for I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Again, he's going back. This is that verse that Zach read about, or I guess further on talking about the Lamanites. At least they value their women. This is a problem that he sees with his people, is that they are not taking care of their women and these sacred obligations in the way that they should. And this is verse 32. And I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughters of this people, which I have led out of the land of Jerusalem, shall come up unto me against men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, so, well, he says that I'm going to read verse 33. For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness. Um, you feel, I guess I'd say this tenderness from the Lord and, and what Jacob feels is that they the women are not being taken care of. They're ta being taken advantage of in all of the ways that maybe we even, that for sure we see today. Um, and I just think this one in general, in general, just speaking of, of this sexual immorality and the things that we see today, um, certainly this is a, a cause of concern today. And I think for me, where this really hits home for me is just seeing that um, this is a place where, Satan is at work. He is at work destroying something that is so beautiful and so sacred um, that can be one of the most wonderful things for the for a relationship. But here it is being twisted and torn, which what is something that we see Satan doing all the time for these type of things <clears throat> that God has ordained as holy and something that can unite and bind. I... Could, of all the ones that fires me up, this one fires me up the most. And I think uh -oh. I could I could spend the whole episode just ranting about this. Um, Jacob's chastisement um, to or of Nephite culture and especially Nephite men at the way that they have disadvantaged women um, and tried to excuse their behavior 
because of scripture, it, it's, it's, it's despicable. It, the whole thing is despicable. And as I look at the world that we live in today, I get really frustrated because we seem to be speaking out of both sides of our mouth when we talk about women. Um, this is a wonderful day when so many women are hopefully being able to break free from things that are holding them back from realizing their divine potential and from growing closer to their God and growing uh, closer to their families and going and, and being able to serve and help out in the world that they live in. And so I love that that's happening. And yet you turn on the TV, you watch a movie, you watch a TV show, and the objectification of women, the over-sexualization of, the, of, of our human relationships is sickening. And it baffles me, it baffles me that we as a world fight so hard for women's rights and yet are so permissive um, as a culture and maybe as families and individuals uh, of the way that women are spoken about and treated visually, verbally, socially um, in our lives. And so uh, as true as this was for the Nephites, um, I, I think it has perhaps maybe even more truth or power for us, um, and we need to change. Um, I can speak just to men and say what Jacob says in kind of a surprising way to the Nephites. In chapter 3, um, he gives the Nephites this shock by praising the Lamanites for the way that they treat their families. Chris referenced this. Behold, their husbands love their wives... Their wives love their husbands, and their husbands and their wives love their children. Um, He'll go on in the next couple of verses to say, they might be even better in the eyes of their creator than you because they're not violating this most important commandment and this most important relationship. Um, And if I'm passionate about anything, it's speaking to guys about accepting and growing their responsibility as brothers, husbands, and fathers whose primary responsibility above work, above church, above calling, above anything else is to care for the people and especially the women and the children in our lives. That is our primary responsibility as men. And especially if you are married or a father, um, I don't care how important your job is. I don't care how, how, uh, how much money it might make you, your primary responsibility is to take care of your family. There you have it. Zach speaking boldly and Jacob too. <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. We, we talk a lot about this and I just, I feel for how much language there is aimed at women today for what they should or shouldn't be. Uh, and my argument always is, I think the solution to a lot of the strain and stress that women feel isn't by pointing at women and telling them they need to change. It's by pointing at the men in their lives and telling them they need to change. And so I feel that responsibility. And and if there's a platform to say that to the world, then maybe this is it. Maybe, and I don't know, we could get up to heaven and Jacob could slap me and say, that's not what I meant. But I kind of think that's what he meant. And I kind of think that's what he would say if he were here, um, that we just need to be better. Well, I definitely think that falls in into this Weltschmerz that you're feeling. And I definitely think too that... Um, these things, I've said this before, but they're for just as much for us today. Um, the riches, the pride, the chastity, these are all things that very, very real and very applicable for us today. So I, I think there are many reasons this week that this study can be rich and and very useful for you. But I think that it's easy to see how 
how applicable it is for our time and for what we're seeing going on in our lives and in our world today. Now, there is a good side or a, a, a good news to this sermon. In chapter 3, Jacob does say that he wants to speak to those that are pure in heart, and he gives them the same injunction. He says, Look unto God with firmness of mind, and pray unto him with exceeding faith, and he will console you in your afflictions. He will plead your cause and send down justice upon those who seek your destruction. O all ye that are pure in heart, lift up your heads and receive the pleasing word of God and feast upon his love. For you may, if your minds are firm forever. Um, I love, it's painful to study these truths. And in your study, you'll find other things that cause you Weltschmerz. And hopefully, as it has been for us, find things maybe even in your own lives and in your own family that you want to tweak or change or repent of. But I love the truth at the end of this, that in those trials and difficulties, God will comfort you. And then that he has a plan and a way to save us um, from these things that cause us pain in the world, if not now, then in the world to come. And that causes, brings me a lot of comfort and solace. Thank you so much for listening this week. We're grateful to be a part of your study and we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.